0: Welcome to Badass Saleswomen, where every week we have candid conversations and get advice from the most successful women in sales and sales leadership from around the world. I'm your host Cheyenne Sampson, Global Vice President of Inside Sales and Sales Development, author of Triage Sales Coaching, and sales aficionado. Joining me today is Melanie Gordon, Investment Principal at TechStars Anywhere, three times founder and CEO startup advisor, mentor, coach, and badass snowboarder and outdoor adventure woman. Melanie, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you. It's
0: awesome to be here. I'm glad to have you, Melanie. Where I want to kind of start, though, before we get into sales and and, and your background, one can you tell us about TechStars and what you're doing now? So I know you yeah. have your your if if you look at it, Melanie's background, she's the CEO of Evergreen, CEO of Tap Hunter. You've started a few successful businesses, but now TechStars. Walk us through what that is and why it matters to anybody that's listening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I've been a tech stars mentor for the last five years, a lead mentor and ad hoc mentor to mostly uh, tech startups, B2B SaaS. And it's a give first model pro bono. It's about a 10 week commitment um, throughout a specific accelerator. And I think one of the stories I have where I just, it, it just, Oh God, I just love it. So I was a lead mentor recently for a female CEO And you meet once a week, one-to-one, and it's volunteer, right? You give the time you can, but I had extra time on my hands. And she was trying to close a deal with Shopify. It was a very, very big deal. She was dealing with the C-suite and didn't have a lot of business development and sales experience. And so she would send me the email draft in a Google doc or like, what should the contract say? Or, hey, the VP of community said this, what should I say back? And so we went back and forth like this for a week or two and she closed the fucking deal. Yeah. Right. And so what I realized was I love sales and closing deals, but you know what I love more? Helping other people close deals. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I got a call last summer from the managing director of that accelerator and said, what are you doing? And I was on a bit of a sabbatical and I said, hey, I'm coaching and mentoring and angel investing on the side. And he said, well, why don't you come do that at Techstars? So when one of the big three names of accelerators in the world calls you, you kind of need to stop and reevaluate. So that's what happened. So it's been a year now, actually.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I love following your journey and and what you've accomplished. But let's go back because you called something out, and I remember when you and I first met. So for my listeners, Melanie and I first met. I came in. Um, she had a, a small t- sales team at Tap Hunter, and we met through a mutual friend or colleague. And mm-hmm. um, I think what has always stuck out to me, Melanie, is yes, you're a CEO. You're a badass. You're an entrepreneur. But you have the sales chops, like you have sales running through your blood. Walk us through your background in sales. Like what, where did that come Um, from?
1: My first sales job was when I was barely floating by in college because my dream was to be a pro snowboarder for the rest of my life. (laughs) Nice. And my friend's uncle was a broker for State Farm Insurance here in Reno, Nevada, and he hired me. And he handed me a call list and said, call all these people and try to sell this additional health insurance policy to them. And so I did. Well, what ended up happening was I realized that it was kind of like Aflac, where if you get hurt, like you can pull money out of it. And so I got the policy and I ended up getting hurt snowboarding and they sent me money on top of having insurance. So I was like phoning on all these people. I'm like, do you ski or snowboard? Do you ski or snowboard? And so I, I was just phone calling down a list selling insurance. <laughs> that was my first sales job. No training, no nothing. Um, and so I moved to San Diego in 99, worked for one of San Diego's fastest growing startups. And that's where I got, classically trained by some of the best in the sales industry, you'll realize a lot of the best sales people came from Cutco knives.
0: I did Cutco too. That's so funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> we might've
1: talked about this. So I got trained by the best of the best in a technology company and a tech startup. Um, and I'm was one of five females in the entire company. I think there were like three females on the entire sales team and females rock at sales when you can, you know, get, get into that flow. And so I became really good at it really fast. Right. Won all the awards, made a lot of money when I wasn't even out of college yet. And it was fun. I thought like the business world was, well, I mean, some parts of it are, it was going to be boring and stuffy and blah, blah, blah. But it was like, oh, wow, this is the business world. So uh, that was early 2000. <laughs> so I've been doing sales and business development ever since.
0: That's amazing. And and you can tell when I met you, I, I so you, again, Melanie brought me in to, to talk to her sales team and stuff, but I sat down and thought, you don't need me. You know what you're doing. Like you had such sales chops, but To be fair, she was also, you were CEO and you had bigger fish to fry. I was Um, running
1: other things. And also sometimes your team gets tired of hearing and listening to you. You got to bring in outside perspective.
0: Yeah. Even if I say the exact same thing, they're like, oh, that's so brilliant. You're like the thing I've been saying for the last three months. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) uh, But going back. So um, you, you know, you mentioned something that I want to kind of call out. So being a female in sales, you know, that's one of the things that we like to talk about on here. I think there's challenges that you face, right? And not only were you a female in sales and I'm not calling out our age, but a little bit ago, um, you know, we're not, we're not 21 right out of college anymore. Um, So we did face some things coming out, uh, you know, and being into sales, but then also, Being a female CEO in this world, when I think it's what, 5% of our CEOs are female, can you talk to us about that journey and what you've experienced and how you've overcome some of those hurdles?
1: Yeah. I mean, running a tech startup in the alcohol beverage space while trying to raise money as a female was really hard. Um, I came from a background from a mom and dad who taught me I could do whatever I wanted, regardless of my gender or socioeconomic background from a very young age, right? Like I was racing motorcycles when I was seven. So like being female was just never a thought to me that that would keep me from moving forward. Um, So I'm very lucky in that way. And, you know, raising money and running the company I tried to find where it was a strength. So where it worked really well was when we were recruiting and interviewing and, and men and women were both excited to come work for a female ran company. So that was super exciting. And I, and it took me a little bit to figure it out. I had to listen and just shut up. Right. Um, And so I used that. People were really excited, right. Females leaders are tend to be known a little bit more empathetic and, human based and conscious and those sorts of things. So that really worked well in the investor world. Not so well, you know, I got questions like, well, when are you going to have babies? And it's like, never also none of your fucking business. Right. I got all the, you know, asked all the questions of when are you having kids and all that kind of stuff. Right. And like white males don't get asked those questions. And I'm a white female, not to mention the the, the you know, black and brown females that I coach today, like get even the worst questions. So, you know, it's hard. It's changing the, it's getting a little better in terms of the investment um, investors that you can pitch, but it's really hard out there. Um, and so my goal is to really make an impact with female founders and CEOs to help them feel confident. So that when they do come across those challenges, right, how they can change the conversation, whether it's in closing a business deal with Shopify or trying to raise money from a wealthy individual.
0: And so you said something about confidence there and teaching confidence. I had this question asked to me the other day from two young female um, um, employees, you know, uh, because I gave them. The advice like, oh, confidence over or competence over confidence, but make sure that you are, you know, working on your confidence well, or something like that. And they both asked me, well, how? And, you know, it's funny. It's such a simple question, but it stumped me. And I was like, yeah, how do you work on confidence? Right. And so what do you teach um, when you're talking to somebody about improving in that area?
1: So. I just had this conversation three times last week with some of our female founders at Techstars, this current accelerator uh, cohort we're in. Um, Each accelerator has 12 companies. Seven of the 12 companies are female CEOs. So this class really matters to me. Also, we're in a downturn market where fundraising is going to be hard on top of the fact that they're females. So even though I come across loud and confident, I remember our monthly, our company um, update meetings for my company, which I stepped away from three years ago. And I addressed the company once a month, right? With the keynote, how things were going. And we were at at most 50 full-time employees. And I still got nervous and scared every single month before I would go and talk to that team. And they were young professionals, right? These are not scary people, but it was like, holy shit. I like, I am leading these people and I am responsible for their payroll. And so the weight that I carried around was hard and it did get to me. And I just Googled it. It's Amy Purdy on TEDx video about the power pose. And some people might like, well, you're already powerful enough, but it was the confidence in the physiology of my body And I used to, we were in a high rise building, like with a huge corporate office, um, with the bathroom outside of the office suite with stalls and five to 10 minutes before the meeting. And there were only two people in the company knew that I did. This was my co-founder CTO and husband and, um, like our HR person. Cause they would be like, Oh, is she ready? We got to play, get the music going. And I would go into the bathroom and I would do the power pose and breathe so that I could like get into my body as a confident CEO and not look like a nervous jumbled wreck up there because as women there's different stigmas against us. Right. And so I really had to pay attention how I showed up every day and those company update meetings, the first words out of my mouth, you know, everyone's like this, just what is she going to say? but I wanted to be calm and confident and I didn't want my voice to be wavery and shaky. And so I've worked really hard on that and I still do. So Amy Purdy has a TEDx video on like the power pose. And I tell all my female founders that including the male founders who might be introverted in a CTO who still need to address a crowd, right? This isn't just for females. So that's, that's my little hidden secret that only two people knew about. (laughs)
0: I love it. And but I love your vulnerability too because I think um People say the same thing to me. People think I'm so confident. Like, oh, God, would someday I want to be you with your confidence. And I'm like, girl, if you only knew what was going on in my head. You know what <laughs> I mean? Because I'm like, oh, honey, yeah, I cried right before this. No, you know what I mean? But, yeah. but so I love that vulnerability there. And to acknowledge that even at your level of success and you're a mentor and you've created successful companies and you're a venture capitalist and you do all these things, why do you think you still struggle with that? what What is it within you or 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 can you dig into that vulnerability a little bit more for us?
1: Yeah. so struggling in terms of like the confidence and showing up and being like, "I belong here, right? Right. You know what's really interesting is that um, when I stepped away from the company and we reorged to profitability, so we decided to not do growth at all cost, and we had a cash machine. And we were able to distribute profit dividends for the first time. And I can't tell you how many years and months I went without paying myself. Um, And I took some money off the table. And that allowed me to start working on the impact things that of goals of my for myself that I set 15 years ago, which was being an angel investor in other companies. And I just remember being able to make my first angel investment in a female founded company right? And it was like, wait a minute, what is my definition of success? When do you know when you have arrived? Because us type A sales-driven CEO, crazy people, it's just like, you're always striving. And I think I've just gotten so exhausted from constantly striving that I've recently changed my definition of what success looks like. And one of those was And I've written more than one check, but I told myself, if all I'm able to do is write one angel investment check, like that is more than what the rest of the world may be able to ever say that they can do. And so that's what I've really started to, to, to kind of simplify down what the definition of success looks like.
0: Oh, I love that. That actually spoke to me. I was like, oh, I got to write that down. Um hey, I have another I was thinking so flash, your husband, um for the listeners that don't know, CTO, right? Mm-hmm. Did you ever have times where people because he was co-founder and CTO it looked to him rather than you. Like, oh, we have a female in the room. She's all right. She's a CEO, yada yada. So anyways, flash, and how did you navigate that?
1: So a few investors when we were fundraising or even people who worked for us, Oh, they're married. That's cute. It's his business. Um, but I just got sick of it after a while. And some of it was probably in my head, right? It's the stories that you make up in your head. Like, you know what? I'm the CEO. Like I'm very deserving of being here. We both run this business. Um, I remember we closed our first angel round, and we had a fund that I still cherish these guys today, Right Side Capital. I think highly of them. And they never asked the questions of, you know, when are you having kids and that kind of stuff, okay? So we close our round with them and we're in San Francisco for the weekend and they take us to lunch. And I am just pumped. Oh, my God. Like these Silicon Valley investors, because the rest of them were all angels from San Diego, which were mostly lovely human beings. And then there were two garbage humans on our cap table. Um, and we were at lunch with with them and they said, hey, we got to ask you, we're assuming you're related. Are you guys brother and sister? Or are <laughs> you partners? And they didn't care. They just didn't care. And it was hard, right? We have the same last name. Um, And that was the first time I was like, oh, there are other humans in this world that are seeing past that, right? It is possible. They're showing me it's possible. And they're the biggest investor in our company. And so I was like, oh, it's just that little glimmer of hope that I'm going to grab onto that, like, not everybody cares. So just act as if nobody else cares.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Because there's just like one, there were the two humans, right? Dave and Jeff, who who were like, oh, that's really cool. Okay. So yeah, did I um, do things in my pitch deck to like not have both of our last names in there and next to it? Did I use things in investor pitches so that it didn't sound like we were married? Yeah, absolutely. It's called appropriate transparency. <laughs> I didn't need, you know what I was doing? I'm Mel Gordon, the CEO of Tap Hunter, and this is my husband. And one of my mentors came to me and said, Why do you keep doing that? And I was like, I don't know. And they're like, Why don't you just say, I'm Mel, the CEO of Tap Hunter, and this is my co founder?
0: <laughs> Such a simple thing.
1: And so I just started learning the power of appropriate transparency, it's nobody's fucking business. <laughs>
0: I love it. And I think I think to point out your your key point in there, too, is find humans that are aligned with you. Right. Find humans that believe in you. Um, I think a lot of people want to work for female CEOs everything that you said is true but for someone like me i've always thought oh that'd be so cool to just have like a female running the company not that there's great men out there right but um and so there's so much to be said with finding humans that align with your your who you are as well so uh, before you leave though so the great all good stuff but i think one of the other things i really want to call out and i've got a smile on my face as i'm saying this For my listeners, Mel is a badass. One day she took me to lunch and goes, guess what I'm going to do? Basically going to quit business life and go live my dream, travel the world, live in an RV, snowboard, mountain bike, and still make money. And just did it. Just said she was going to do it, did it. If you could see her on Instagram these last couple years, I've just been living vicariously through you. How did you do that? What, what were you, one, what were you thinking? And two, yeah. how did you accomplish that?
1: You know, I started to about five to six years in of running my company for 10 years, I started to crack and burn out and me and Flash don't have kids. We're happily child-free by choice. And I just kept thinking like, if not now, when? And our goal was, his, we had, I had one, which was buy the Airstream and visit all the national parks. And his was live for six months abroad. So I made a PowerPoint and this is a joke in our friends and family, like when Mel brings a PowerPoint, like you better listen. So I was like, here's my here's my thing. This was in 2016. And I just said, I don't want to wait until we're 50 or 60 to do this. Like what what are we waiting for? And so that was right around the time we reorged our company, hit the road. and, And so the goal was three years. And we made it a year because then COVID happened mm. and all the national parks closed. And it's not really fun living with your parents when you're 40. Um, and so we ended up buying a home back in my hometown, but we are already starting to talk about finishing the trip. Um. So yeah, it's not, it, we just pressed the pause button. Um. We still have the RV. We still camp all the time. And now we're back near Tahoe, which, um, you know, is snowboarding and mountain biking and hiking galore. So, yeah, it's the the trip will get restarted. But you did
0: it for a year, accident. which is impressive.
1: Yeah, I lived for a year with my husband in a hundred square foot camper.
0: <laughs> well, if that doesn't, you know, show you what your relationship is made of, nothing will, yeah. you know. Exactly. Well, Mel, uh, as always, I just adore you. And I love watching your journey and just being around you. You are a badass woman. You're a badass entrepreneur, badass leader. Um, Any final parting words for my listeners as they are, you know, embarking on their own journeys out there as strong females?
1: I think that great entrepreneurs and business leaders are built in these economic downturns, which, you know, we're all still kind of living through COVID and the pandemic. And it's a weird, it's a strange world right now. And it's just scary. It's really easy to get wrapped up in the planet that is literally on fire right now. Um, And so my biggest takeaway is Filter what you allow in your life every day, including the news, including social media. If I was on Facebook every day and still had New York Times headlines coming to my phone, I probably would have canceled this call because I'd be curled up on the couch in a blanket drinking a bottle of wine. Um, and I think the easiest thing we can do right now to like keep going is is like filter out the noise because it's really it's really easy to be like oh my god right and just a spiral. So limit your news, turn off your alerts to your phone. Like you do not need those headlines coming to you in the middle of the day. It's real. People are struggling right now with mental health and well being, and so I would just take an audit right of, of your social media usage, who you're following, what's the news, like. Um, A lot of people are getting ready to do an August detox break from social media, right? Because it's the summer and you kind of want to end on a high note. And so I would just encourage people to maybe like, can you do a day or two or a week? Um, I challenged myself to one month off of Facebook. This was a few years ago. Um, I made it one month and it turned into two years. That's so that would be my biggest takeaway that we live in a very very strange and hard times right now. So (laughs) I love that.
0: I love that. That, And those are great parting words of wisdom. Mel, bless you. And tell Flash, I said hi, and thank you so much for being part of our show today.
1: Thank you so much.